American Nightmare Podcast presents A History of China The Anti-African Protests of 1988 One must understand that before the 1980s, there generally wasn't any friction between blacks and Chinese. Now, when I say blacks, I mean mostly blacks from the continent of Africa. Another reason was because there was sporadic contact between blacks and the Chinese on the mainland. A notable figure was Paul Robeson, who believed in communism and Marxist ideology. During the 1950s, Robeson would often travel to China to perform and give lectures, much to the disdain of the idea of McCarthyism, which was running rampant at the time. He found solidarity with the struggles of Chinese people that were juxtaposed with his own struggles dealing with racism and Jim Crow laws in America. Mao actually appreciated Pan-Africanism in the 1960s and felt kinship with the thoughts of people like Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X. He strongly opposed European and American imperialism in the African continent. In the early 1970s, in order to bring the two peoples together, he opened up Chinese universities to African students and awarded them stipends. These stipends or scholarships were often higher than mainland Chinese students. This was much to the disdain of many Chinese who felt that they alone deserved a free ride. Since their displeasure and anger could not be directed at the government for obvious reasons, they focused their anger on black students, which in part planted the seeds of Chinese nationalism. The people were secretly angry about a lot of things. The country had just recovered from the Great Leap Forward, with Mao's attempt at transforming China from an agrarian society that mostly relied on farming to a socialist, industrialized juggernaut. This resulted in China's Great Famine Period, where it is reported that between 20 to 40 million people perished due to drought, rapid industrialization, and collectivization. Add to the fact that Mao was being marginalized within the party. During this time period of the 70s and 80s, Black students were also a lot more open about their sexuality, dating culture, and Western ideas than the closed-off Chinese. Things like rap music, dating multiple women, and dating outside of one's race were vastly alien to the Chinese, whose main focus was survival. Physically, we can attest to the fact that black men were stronger and were more masculine featured than Chinese men. We cannot doubt that the Chinese were exposed to the images of black females as mammy-like figures in the limited Western media that the Chinese were allowed to view. Although Chinese government leaders painted the relationships between China and Africa in a positive light, on ground zero in China was another story. The people thought differently. For example, a popular notion is that to be black means one was a worker in the fields toiling away in the hot sun. 
The sun is constantly shining on the skin, making the skin wrinkled, freckled, and leathery. Those who want to prove that they are urban dwellers and refined stay away from the sun to that of the level of vampires. The whiter the skin, the more beautiful and cultured the individual. In fact, there is a saying that one white covers three ugliness. Another saying, you can cover all your defective parts if you are white. These thought processes were not just groomed in the 20th century, which many day modern Chinese critics believe, but these beliefs are centuries old. According to Barry Saltman, a visiting scholar conducting academic research at the time in Nanjing, this is his recollection of the incident. On December 24, 1988, two African male students attempted to enter their university dormitory at Hohai University with two Chinese women. The occasion was supposedly a Christmas Eve party. To step back from the story briefly, I noticed that every report I researched stated the students were African. This goes to say that no one bothered to find out what specific country the African students came from. Also understand that most of the reports came from Americans. According to reports, there was an argument between the security guards and students. According to my knowledge and experience, and depending on the rules and regulations to specific universities, it can be quite difficult to bring someone of the opposite sex to your dormitory without becoming a victim of the assumptions and speculations that come with it. My time at the Liaoning School of Traditional Chinese Medicine, for example, taught me that a little bribery with a pack of premium cigarettes goes a long way towards the guard changing his mind to let you in. Usually, if I brought my girlfriend over, she couldn't spend a night unless I paid in tobacco and alcohol. If my girlfriend came in the daytime, I would have to come downstairs and pick her up, and she would have to sign in. If I tried to finesse it and bring other women besides my girlfriend, the guard would play a hate and tell the girl I have a girlfriend already. Why was she going up? The guards and the black students began to argue because the blacks were offended that security guards assumed the women that they were bringing in were prostitutes because no Chinese woman would possibly fall in love with a black person. It goes against Chinese ideology. To this day, when I inform Chinese people that I am married to a Chinese woman, they are taken aback. You get the feeling that they are thinking, how can a black marry a Chinese woman? Black is so ugly. It is different when my white male counterparts are asked if they are married to Chinese, especially if it is a single woman. Instead of shock, you get disappointment. This assumption that these Chinese women were prostitutes led to a brawl between security guards. 
Chinese students, and the black students, which lasted until the morning. From here, we hear no more of the Chinese women involved. Thirteen people were said to be injured. A rumor began to spread that the black students had killed a Chinese person. A group of approximately 300 students broke into the dormitories of black students who were not even involved and ransacked their rooms. This included setting fire to dormitories and locking students inside. These rumors had spread to the other nearby universities. Soon, there were thousands of Chinese students protesting with signs held up high that read, Down with the black devils! One could rationalize on the side of Chinese and say that these black African students deserved it. But then, one must discount the 1989 article written by Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times, where it was stated that after Nanjing, the protests then spread to Beijing, Shanghai, and even Wuhan. Quote, Meanwhile, a dozen African students in the central Chinese city of Wuhan have been isolated after an attack on them Saturday by hundreds of Chinese students, according to reports reaching Beijing. The Associated Press also quoted sources in Wuhan as saying that a Sri Lankan student had been beaten up, apparently because of his dark skin. Nicholas Kristof, January 5, 1989, African Students Boycott Classes in Beijing, New York Times. We can never really know the true reasons because we weren't there. But based on my experience, living in China for almost 14 years, I can more than speculate the real cause of the drama. I will tell you my ideas as I get more into the story about my life in China. You could say that I was fairly shocked because I had never experienced any outright direct form of discrimination concerning the color of my skin in America before. It hurt and damaged my pride, especially because it was coming from a woman and from a culture that I had for a, so long admired. In the end, as you could imagine, many of the black students felt like me, a culture that you had admired for so long and took a step to try and bridge the gap of the deep chasm of ignorance ended up not feeling the same way about you or your culture. Most of the black students returned back to their respective countries. Then, Tiananmen Square happened. 